one of the challenges, obviously, when you move from one country to another, is all your history is based on the country. We'll, we just go back a bit, Ricky. Yeah. We'll, have, we'll give them a surprise. Uh, uh, one of the issues is, is that, that all your history is associated with the country that you've lived in. Uh, and so, again, uh, the, the only illustrations I could think of for our message this morning were British ones. Well, at least European ones. And okay, we've got one from Bosnia, one from the UK. So let me tell you about Harold, Harold Shipman. Uh, the news may have, I mean, does that name ring a bell with you? It was big news. I would have thought it made international news. Does it ring a bell? A GP, Ron's heard of him? He was a, a British GP, Greg there, who killed his own patients systematically over many, many years. He was convicted for, I think, 15 patients that he killed. But they're just the ones that they could pin on him. They reckon it's something more like 250 to 300, and some as young as four years old. Four years old. He was just killing his patients. So they say it, it gave him a sense of gratitude or fulfillment, uh, whatever the cause is. But here's the thing: he was arrested, put on trial, jailed, and then within a short time, so anybody know what happened? He took his own life. Where's the justice in that? And even the prison cell, I mean, I've been in British prisons. I haven't said time in them, and they haven't caught up with me yet. <laughs> yet. But, but I've, sat in, I've sat in some cells, and, and, and they're not great places, but they're hardly deserving of someone who's committed crimes of that nature. And he, and he didn't spend much time in one either. And you ask yourself, what kind of justice is that? Is there any justice? You know, you know what, what about these great people, great people, men with great renown, Pol Pot? You know, Pol Pot was never, never really, never really faced justice. But Hitler, took his life. We said it was the 30th of April, just took a, a cyanide pill, him and his wife. And we think, where's justice in that? We've got Idi Amin now. And look, I'm sure you can think of others. I mean, what are the key ones that have evaded justice in Australia? Ned Kelly? There's one a name, some of you. Ned? Ned Kelly, did you say? Yeah, a name will ring a bell with some of you. And in Thailand, I'm sure that there's men there, or women. And we are we left asking, is there any justice in this world? And look, that's where Esther comes in. And we have to remember that these things are written, the Apostle Paul says, for our benefits. He says that. These things are written for our benefits. The events of the Old Testament took place under the divine oversight of God. And these things become examples or types of how God deals with our world. And so here we see, we're going to see this morning, an example of justice. And the point that God is making, and the point that we're to hear from that, what is the point that we're to get from that? We're going to see one example of justice. And the point that we're meant to take from that is, it's an example of, 
Yes. It's an example that there will one day be justice. Let's look at it and we'll get to our conclusion later. I told you the conclusion in case you went out of sleep. You know, you're quite welcome. I had these two lovely old gentlemen in my, fir my first church. And just a wonderful gentleman. Uh, we're in a typical English village in a, in a small town called Tenterden. And this gentleman was also kind to us, one of them at least. He used to take Naomi and myself regularly out for lovely steak meals. He knew we, we loved a steak meal. And he'd take us to one of the fanciest restaurants. He was quite a well-to-do gentleman. Uh, and he did this regularly. We had a lovely relationship with him. Once we were at dinner with him uh, at someone else's house, and, and, and another old gentleman, his friend, they used to sit next to each other. And then he began complaining at the dinner table that my sermons were too short. <laughs> oh, I have to laugh. <laughs> you know why they were too short, don't you? Because <laughs> during every service, five minutes into my sermon, he and this fellow would just nod off. Once they were just leaning on each other asleep. And then he'd wake up five minutes before the end, always on cue. And then, and as obviously it's to him, I only preach for ten minutes a time. So look, I've given you the beginning and the end in case you want to have a kid. Look, our theme is this. Our theme is this. The God who is bigger than me and my circumstances. That's the theme running through the book. And here's our only heading this morning. God's justice is on the We've got to hear that. That's the heading. God's justice is finally served. Let's go through these verses. So the scene closes, and Des, thank you, Des, Des read from the last part of chapter 6 of Esther. The scene closes, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Haman is humiliated. He escorts Mordecai through the streets, proclaiming this is how. You, uh, we honour the one the king delights to honour. And he, he rushes home for some consolation. And, and all he gets is that his family are turning on him. They're all turning on him. It's so quick. And the whole scenario is changing. His family turn on him. They've got nothing good to say to him. And just when he's, when he's at his lowest point, you think he can't get any worse, he's called for by the queen. That sounds great. Here's verse 6 verse 14 of chapter 6 while they were still talking with him the king's eunuch arrived and hurried Haman away can you see what the narrator is doing here okay, okay. so uh, Haman is coming to the king's court he has to honor Mordecai he does that he gets the thing seems to have taken almost a whole day of okay of preparation he gets home okay only hours earlier he prepared the gallows Okay, and now his wife turns against him. And now, all of a sudden, amidst all of this, we're told that Haman's, that the eunuchs arrive, and they hurry Haman away. Can you see what the narrator is doing here? He's building up the tension. There's haste here. Whatever may have occurred over a long period of time up to now, all, all events from this juncture on are moving at breakneck speed. That's what you meant to get, okay? You may have taken a long time to get here. Okay? But from this juncture, it's going to move at breakneck speed. That's what we're to understand. It's taken a long time to get here, but from this juncture, okay, the thing is swiftly moving. And notice too, that 
that they come for him. He's hired away. Can you see the imagery? Okay, that this thing that's going to occur, okay, is outside of Haman's control. At this juncture, Haman is totally at the mercy of Persia. They come for him. He's hurried in. He's hurried to the banquet. Okay, it's completely out of his control. Bear in mind, it's, it's important to the story. So, on to chapter 7. So, the king and Haman went to dine with Esther. Okay, finally. I mean, at first, at least from Haman's perspective, you know, if this is one moment, finally, where he can put his feet up, have good wine. And they didn't keep the best wine till last in the palace. They served the best wine from the beginning to the end. He's with Esther. Well, it's obviously a delightful woman who's confident to be. He's with his best chum, the king. It's just the three of them. Of all the officials of Persia, the only person at the banquet who's been invited is, excuse me, is Haman. And you'd think then, wouldn't you, that this would be an opportunity for him to drown his sorrows, enjoy the company, and have some relaxation. But the king pops his question. You know, now, Haman obviously isn't thinking anything adverse is going to take place, but the king pops his question again. Remember, she went to him in his, in his throne room, risked her life. She's invited him to the first banquet, and kept her patience. If there's anything like me, I want to just... I can't hold it back sometimes. But no, Esther, such a controlled, mature woman. Okay, okay. She's kept it for this second, second episode, second meal. Look, Queen Esther, what is it then? Esther, what is it? Okay? Tell me now. The Queen, the King wants to hear what Esther has to say. Haman is sitting there has no idea what is about to happen. The queen finally, finally is going to speak up. And listen, up until this time there's been great restraint. Okay? Now she speaks. But she speaks with great intelligence. Remember last time I said in the country of birth where I was born, you don't have to say anything intelligent. Just as long as you say something, it makes you look good. If you're quiet, can't speak, or if you're thoughtful, you know, they just think you're dumb. Okay? Okay, okay. Esther has been quiet, but she's going to speak now. And even now, that's great wisdom. Listen. Oh, King, if you please, it's your majesty. Grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my life. Can you see the intelligence here? How does Esther frame this? What's she doing? Pardon? Yes! She spent two occasions at least pampering on the king, hasn't she? Reminding him, you know, of their relationship, of his interest, why he likes her. She's put him prepared. And, and the first words, remember the king doesn't care two hoots about Jews, does he, really? Not that, she's utterly self-absorbed. And so she begins at a point that matters most to the king. Listen to it. Grant me my life. 
That's my petition. That's Corey's interest. This is the point. He's listening. You know, how could his queen be in danger? He, she's got his full attention. And, and so she adds, as a second thought, and spare my people. For the spearhead is here, is, is, is grant me my life. Okay. And so she puts it across in the most appealing manner to the king. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we have been merely sold as male and female slaves, not that she keeps putting herself with this group of people. It's me, now it's us. It's my people, okay? If we have been, if we were merely being sold as slaves, that would have been okay, I would have kept quiet because that wouldn't have deserved or justified disturbing the king. And so the king is listening on. The queen spills her heart. It's her, the king's queen, that is in danger. And so obviously, he responds. You can imagine the rain. And remember, there's been wine here. Okay? okay? There's been wine. And look, obviously, it has some impact on humans. It's having an impact here. And so the king asks Queen Esther. And this isn't merely, okay, Esther, tell me, you know, what is it? What is the matter with you? This is nothing like this. Who is he? This is rage, and so we meant to understand it. Who is he? Where is the man? And notice he's told who is dead. To endanger the queen of Persia. That's the point here. Look, at that very moment. Fate. Yes. He has no idea. He's still sitting there, you know, drinking away, wondering what's going on here. He has no idea that, that Esther is a Jew. He has no idea. He's sitting away cozy. He has no idea what is about to happen. But at that very moment, exactly that moment, his fate was sealed. And now Esther. Remember, this is she's been calculated, cordial, restrained. Okay? You know, I had some lovely women in my first church. Lovely. It, it was from the part of Kent where and and a church scene where women were quiet in church. Seriously, they would never speak. You know, and you get this impression. These lovely meek women, and they were—they wouldn't say "boo" to a goose because they would never speak in church. Okay, <laughs> I went visiting one at home. <laughs> it's a different story altogether, I tell you. Boy, boy, she was good. Okay, we're in church. It's just a meek little girl, a uh, woman. Esther, I got to this point. Lovely woman. <laughs> Uh, up to this point, she's been this mean, restrained woman of listen to an elder state. Number six. Their adversary, an enemy, and enemy, is this vile Haman. And it's that's the moment. That's the moment. You can imagine. It's that, that moment when. when <laughs> He's sitting there, and his name, look, and that's in English. 
Okay? In Hebrew, it's far, far stronger. Here's what scholars say, okay? It's something like this. This is a, this is a literal translation. A man hateful and hostile. This wicked Haman. She let out. She let loose of all the restraint. Okay? Of all that she held back. Of all the rage, of the injustice of this man who wanted to take out his evil on not just Mordecai, but on every member of the Jewish race within the kingdom. I mean, it's a vile evil, isn't it? She lets it out. The full fury of her rage, held back for so long, comes out. A man, hateful and hostile, this wicked. There's a time. There's a time when rage is justified. Hey, when we witness some of the wickedness that take place around our world, and unfortunately, due to TV and 24 hour news, we know everything that goes on around the world. And one of the reasons why we all think, you know, you know, it's, you know, woe is me, it's the end. You know, it may not necessarily do that because we've got 24 hour news. We listen, we've got more access to news than any other civilization in the history of the world. You know, and but one of the downsides is, is that we, we, we become, dumb, it gets dumbed down, we become immune to it, don't we? The rightful response to murders, to evil, to war is rage. We ought to be enraged. But we've got the euthanasia bill going on. We ought to be enraged. And we did that peaceful walk for the saving of unborn children. And it was a time that we needed to be civilised. But deep down inside we should have felt rage. There is a time to feel and to exhibit Due rage at what's going on. And here's Esther's moment, and she lets it be fully known exactly what is occurred here and who is behind it. A man hateful and hostile, the wicked Haman. And so finally, you can imagine Haman is sitting there. This is it. He's exposed. He would have known. He would have known exactly uh, what's going on here. The king, for his part, leaves the room. He's so, you can imagine, can't you? He's so mad. Well, mad and perhaps there's something else going on here. What do you think? What other emotion is going on here? He's enraged, but what else may be going on in the king's mind? There's Because who is this? This is his... Yeah. And so this is not merely rage. There's also conflict, yeah, conflict. Rage and conflict. This is betrayal, but this is his best mate. And remember, who sanctioned this, this uh, edict? It was him. So there's multiple emotions going on here. Now he's possibly thinking, was this Haman's intention all along? Has he had it in for his wife the whole time? 
And so the kid's got to get out. He, he, he needs some space. He's a, he's a, now, now, Haman does something, and this is incredible, how the mighty have fallen. Something that is way, 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 way beneath him. What's he doing? What's Haman doing? Yeah, not just merely to a woman, there's a bit more. He's bowing, begging, pleading to a how did, all this, how did all this come about? Cast your mind back. Was it chapter 5? 4? How did all this come about? When when Mordecai wouldn't bow to him because he insisted that he needed to bow to because he was high and mighty. Here he is. And what is he? Bowing. Listen to this. Listen to this. When he knew that his faith was sealed, he stayed behind and begged Esther for his life. Okay, he wasn't just begging her. Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. And the irony is brilliant. He refused. And Mordecai refused to fall before him and he was enraged because he was the high and mighty Haman. And now the high and mighty. How the mighty have fallen. He's, he's falling and begging and weeping at the feet of not only a Jew, a female Jew to add to, his, to the insult and injury. It's incredible, incredible irony. irony. And so the king returns. And let me ask you, if it our etiquettes are slightly different. Uh, the etiquettes, you, if you know anything of the etiquettes of this part of the world, when the king left the room with his wife in that room, what should Haman have immediately have done? Yes. Or another exit. He should not, never, dare be alone with one of the king's hard on women. Any of them. Dare not. Was outlawed. So when the king comes in and finds him there, the very fact that he was in the room would have been enough. How dare you? What are you doing here? But he wasn't that. It was. How does he find him? What posture? Boy, he's all over it, isn't he? And it's an incredible, incredible sight. And so the king, as you can ima imagine there, look, listen, the king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen with me in the house? Haman obviously wasn't molesting her, but that's how he did look to the king. And the king had no time to read it any other way. And so finally, verse 9, then Hobana, one of the eunuchs attending, attending the king, said, Look, there's a gallon, 75 feet high. Why was it so high? Why would Haman, this, this is a gallon made for Mordecai, why would it made it 75 feet high? How, how tall do you think Mordecai was? You know, what we, yeah, absolutely. He wanted this to be an exhibition in humiliation and prestige. Fear. Hey, I'm too icy. You cross me. Okay? That's what you get. Okay, so look, Haman had made a gallows 75 feet high. He made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. 
And the king responds. Forgive me, you want to smile. This is an evil man. Right? This is justice. This is justice of the absolute type. Everything, the evil that Haman conspired against Mordecai gets completely turned on him. Completely and totally. He's not just hung, the form of death here is impaling. It's public. The whole city is aware. And the message that goes out is not one of crossing Haman, but the message that goes out is that justice is prevailing here. Justice is prevailing here. God's justice is finally served. That is not in scripture by accident. This is an evil book that has even got the name of God in it. And yet, it's got the imprint of God all over it. Let me tell you, I said earlier about a European illustration there. Look, Radovan Karadzic. Does that name ring a bell with anyone? Radovan Karadzic. Okay? Notorious. Here he was, here he is on the top left. He was responsible for going into Bosnia in the war there between 1993 and 1993 and 92 and 95. He earned the name the Butcher of Bosnia. They went into one of the towns, they took 8,000 of the men and young boys of the town removed them from their family and systematically assassinated them. They say it was the worst mass murder since World War II. When he was finally uh, indicted for the crimes, he fled. For 12 years. Does anyone know the story? He disguised himself, or he went under an alias as a doctor. Of all people. Under eventually. There he's on the, on the top right. Under eventually someone recognised him. He was called. And the picture next to him. He was put on trial. Oh you can imagine. that You can see some of the reports even now on YouTube. That he could stink. He, cooked, he kicked up. Justifying. Justifying his crimes. But justice prevailed. And on on the 24th of March 2016 he was found guilty of genocide war crimes and crimes against humanity and sentenced for 40 years since been changed to life ever long, all of life in prison justice was finally served seen to be served and he will pay for his crimes behind bars with all the humiliation that comes with that for the rest of his life. Took 20 years all in all. Justice in that situation prevailed. And here's the message, friends. 
that situation, God, we see, and again, we have to read that in a very similar way to the way we read Esther and Haman. It's God's little window into how things will finally turn out. It's God's little window into a truth that we have to, we have to understand, friends, that though we may delay, justice will finally be served. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Acts. He was giving his talk on Mars Hill there in Greece. You can go and stand in that very spot that Paul's walking to this day. Mars Hill. This is what he said. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. That's the message of Esther 7. That's what Paul is capitalising. That's what we ought to understand in Radovich's conviction that God has set a day. And we're not to think actually that conviction of, 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 of Radovan, rather, is the finale. That is merely the beginning. You see, that is a momentary justice that has taken place in time and space. But what, what Acts 17 is saying is that God has set a day, an eternal day, a final day, a day when all of time will cease to be. And on that day, he personally will see to it that total and full justice is served. On Radovan? On Haman, on Hitler, and on whoever else may have perpetrated crimes of that nature. Here's what our Lord Jesus says. It's in John 5. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Do you see the message here? Because here's the thing about Harold Shipman. Harold Shipman assumed, didn't he? That by taking his life, he would evade justice. Hitler, Adolf Hitler, assumed when the Allies had, had come into Berlin, that on the April the 30th, that if he took his own life, he would evade justice. Here's what Jesus says to Adolf Hitler. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice of God, Jesus. And those who have done evil will rise to face God and to be served his full justice. Revelation 20 picks up on the imagery and, look, and someone develops it. Listen to this. I saw the great white throne. If Xerxes, remember we said Xerxes is sometimes put to us as a contrast for how God is. He came, he had a great white throne room. It's a place of fear. Here's God's room. There was a great white throne room. And, and him who is seated on it. Earth and sky fled from it. It's a fearful judgment court. Okay, And I saw the dead. Great the Hitlers, uh, the Radovans, okay, the Pol Pots, 
Okay, the shipments, the great and the small. Okay, the guy who murdered his family, or the one who committed those atrocities against our little baby recently. Also, the great and the small standing before the throne of God. Okay, once dead, now standing, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The warning is clear, it's graphic. That God takes note of everything that occurs in our world. He misses nothing. He takes down every episode. His catalogue is stored and it's re-access. And although in many cases a Hitler, a Shipman, okay, a Fred West, you, you would have heard his name too, okay? Though they seem to evade justice, okay, however long it may be, God ensures justice is served. So here's a message to us. When we witness great atrocities, when we when we witness wrong, when, we, when we're the victims of it, or when our neighbours are the victims of it, or, or or people we know, or the world we know, it's right to be enraged. There may be a context for expressing that, but it's right to feel that rage. But it's also right. And we see this in Esther. At what point was Esther enraged about what Mordecai was going to, what Haman was going to do to her people? At what point was she enraged? The minute she heard about it. Way before this scenario. We only see it then, but she felt it way back then. But all this time she had done what? She had been restrained. That's the point in Esther. She didn't spurt her mouth off there and then. Because what would have happened? Yeah, yeah, she would have been. She would have gone. She bided her time. She restrained herself. Oh, she was enraged. But she kept her pulse. She went through the motions. She went through her life. She held back. She waited for the opportune moment. Here's what God says to us, it's Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Can you see the message there? It's absolutely right to be enraged. <coughs> When we encounter injustice. But you hold back. Stand back. It's not your responsibility or duty to dish out God's justice. It's important we remember that. The rage and the vengeance is all of God's. That's the point here. 
But there may be opportunity, like in Esther, if we bide our time and wait that opportunity, there may be opportunities that we can make a stance. We can, in the, in the case of abortions, we can, we can put a coordinated response to it, can't we? So we can write to our MPs. You know, we can walk through our city. There are opportunities we find where we can exhibit, you know, our concerns. But we don't go knocking on doctors' doors that, that do abortions and set fire to their houses. We don't throw bottles at their cars. Is the point? Vengeance. Retribution. Justice is the ultimate and final responsibility of God only. And of the God that Jesus, it's Jesus, men and women must stand up. Friends, vengeance and revenge is not ours. We pray for grace to be restrained. In fact, what did Jesus say? And if you can't read in Romans, in fact, this restraint isn't just a cold restraint, Restraint towards enemies. What, what is what is our response to be? Love, Love. and respect. And respect. That's that's what Jesus calls for. Not merely restraint. I was so moved once by you know the Lockerbie disaster. We live near Lockerbie in Scotland. We spent some time. We, we walked around the site where that Lockerbie, where the aircraft crashed into Lockerbie, that village in Scotland. Just walking around there, it just gave me the shivers. A pastor had a daughter. Boy, is it, is it, is it, get emotional. A pastor had a daughter in there. And afterwards, at the news conference, he said he forgive them. And he controlled his rage. It was incredible. Incredible. That's the standard. That's what God calls for. None of us have any justification to go out there and give them what they deserve. That is solely the prerogative. And so, thank you, Sarah, is we bide our time. We resort to prayer. We ask for grace to love enemies. And when an opportunity presents itself, it's the waiting. All this time, we, we make our position and voice. In the abortion law, we write to MPs, Sarah, how many of us are enraged by that? How many of us here are rotting? How many of us went out Saturday morning? So say, it's one thing to be enraged, but we've got to actually take opportunity when it comes. So we buy that time, we look for opportunity, the euthanasia bill. Let's make sure every one of us in this room does something that's calculated, thought out, 
and that may make some difference. That's our response. And here's the other thing, here's the other thing. Look, Psalm 73 is brilliant. You see, when we see all this going on, and when we think they're getting away with it, how Shipman, Hitler, murdered six million Jewish people. How do we control that kind of rage? Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 73. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. I couldn't cope with it. How, how the ungodly prosper, get away with it. Pol Pot was never properly brought to justice. He's, he lived his life to the end. I can't remember if he's still alive just now. And here's what the psalmist says. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I found peace. So we have to get to God's sanctuary. We have to get on our knees. God, grant me the grace to deal with this injustice in my world. Show me how I can maturely and wisely respond to it. Whilst I await your justice. The psalmist says, it was until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed. Completely swept away by terrors. Wasn't that describing Haman? All the injustice in this world will get its come up, come up And like Haman, it may be swifter than we realise. Our part is to come before God and seek his grace and trust him. Do what we can and to trust him. And we may, in reality, without discouraging you, we may not see it in our lifetime. We may not see it. But you can be sure it will occur on the day that God has set aside for judging the world. That's your consolation. Justice will finally be served.